Today's scriptures are found in 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 8, and 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And now, 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is God's word. You may be seated. So the uh, Sunday that I left, uh, Michelle and I, uh, was our last Sunday here uh, before we went on our break, uh, Paul Dirks, some of you know Paul and Didi Dirks, Paul came up and handed me a book and said, I think you might like this. And it's a book called uh, Grace Like a River. And uh, it's a book by a guy named Christopher Parkening. I had never heard of Christopher Parkening. Some of you might know who he is. Um, uh, but but he is, according to the book jacket, he is America's premier uh, classical guitarist. Um, I'm not a classical guitarist, but I tend to like uh, things like that. And besides that, he was a fly fisherman, like a master fly fisherman. I like, okay, I'm intrigued. I, I kind of want to hear what uh, is going on in this book. So I, I read it over the time that we were gone. Uh, it's a fascinating kind of biography of his life, of how he, how he became uh, such a great classical guitarist and some of his uh, fly fishing exploits. But it was the classical guitar part that really caught my attention because of, of how uh, much and the lengths to which he would go to to master his craft. Uh, I did not know this, but apparently when you play guitar like that and you pick, you, you, your, your fingernails on your right hand are uh, incredibly important. And so he took great care of the fingernails on his right hand. In fact, at one point, just to get a little bit better sound, he actually put braces on his fingers so that his fingernails would grow a certain way and pluck the strings a certain way, just give him just a little bit better of a sound to, to the instrument, just obsessing over all these small, small, small little details. Of course, he, he then elevated through the ranks, became world famous in the arena of classical guitar, played with orchestras all over the world. I was on the Tonight Show. He met presidents. At one point, he composed songs with, many of you know the name, John Williams. Um, and, and, and during this time, he, he caught the eye of and, and was mentored by uh, a, a world-famous, another world-famous classical guitarist who was older than his named Andre Segovia, and, um, apparently the world's best classical guitarist. And Segovia um, uh, mentored him over the years, and at one point, they were, I think they were in Spain at the time, and uh, they began talking about the, the need for practice. And, and uh, he asked Segovia, who by this point was an old man, he asked him how often he practices, and he told him three hours every day. Every single day, still at the age he was, three hours every day. And then he said this. He said, if I don't practice for one day, I know it. If I don't practice for two days, my wife knows it. And if I don't practice for three days, the public notices. Now, I think we all get that. Like, that's music, right? And you've got to practice, 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 practice. And we think about things like that with sports. You've got to practice, practice, practice. And we, we talk about things like medicine and law. You practice law. You, you practice medicine because you never master any of those crafts. But I thought, isn't it interesting that, that we think about those in those terms, but when it comes to our Christian lives, how many of us go into autopilot mode and don't think we have to practice at all. We don't have to do anything. We can just sort of float. Despite what 
Scripture says. So I wanted to take us back this morning to that anchoring passage that started this, and we will probably repeat this every week, from, from Timothy, where Paul says to, to, to young Timothy, Timothy, train for godliness, right? Bodily training, that's good, Timothy. You should do it. You should exercise. You should eat right. All of that is good. But Timothy, that has a shelf life. What you must do is train for godliness because it holds promise for this life and the life to come. This is the training that will take you into eternity. It's absolutely necessary. The Christian life requires training, The Christian life requires practice. It requires daily discipline for us to grow in our faith, right? That's what he's saying. It's not automatic, right? It's not something that we can just sort of put our lives in neutral. Hey, I'm saved. I'm great. I'm going to heaven. No, it requires practice. If we're going to strive toward holiness, we looked at that last week, without which no one will see the Lord. If we're going to train for godliness, then we've got to figure out what does that look like? Let me remind you, Donald Whitney in his great book on the Christian disciplines says this. We quoted this last week. I maintain that the only road to Christian maturity and godliness, which means Christ-likeness, holiness, passes through the practice of spiritual disciplines. We must have spiritual disciplines if we're going to grow in Christ's likeness. One, someone said the alternative to discipline is disaster. See, in in many ways, I want you to hear this. You don't really have a choice. You don't really have a choice whether to grow or not. Because if you're not growing, it's disaster, right? If there's not a discipline to your life, it results in the disaster of life. You are fighting, I guess what we could call the law of spiritual entropy or the you know, second law of spiritual thermodynamics. What does that say? It says that hot things always cool unless you stop them, unless you intervene to, to, to keep them white hot, Right? They're going to cool down. And so there's got to be effort. There's got to be energy. You and I, if left to ourselves, our spiritual life, like our physical life, like this physical world, will suffer from a spiritual entropy. Growth happens, but it happens through grace-driven effort, right? Without that effort, what do we do? If we put ourselves in neutral, if we decide we're just going to sort of slow down and not do anything, None of us, as we looked at last week, none of us slide toward maturity and drift towards obedience. No, we do exact opposite, right? We, we, we drift away from that stuff. We, we compromise. We, we slowly sort of, it's like, you know, we're, 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 we're slowly losing our moorings and, the, and the, the ocean of the culture or whatever is pushing us out to sea and suddenly we're lost at sea. We didn't notice it was, seemed imperceptible, but there we are. So it takes effort, takes grace-driven effort, the the, the gospel-empowered effort to grow in our faith. Now, so we want to talk about how do we do that, right? So I wanted to introduce the idea and hopefully get everybody to say, yes, I want to grow. How? So we're going to walk you through these spiritual disciplines over the coming weeks. And the first one is the most important. The first one, let me say this, you can't do without it. The first one, you are kidding yourself if you think you're going to grow and not do this discipline. If you think you have any chance of spiritual survival, of striving after holiness, of training for godliness, you'll never do it without this. And of course, I'm talking about the Word of God your consumption, your diet, you're getting the word of God into you. Now, why? Why is this so important? 
Now, there's a lot we could say about this. Um, but it turns out that um, it, it's, the, it's the Word of God that's going to teach us all that's necessary for life and godliness, right? That's what it tells us. Without the Word of God, we don't know the gospel. Without the Word of God, we don't know the will of God. Without the Word of God, I don't know how to please God. I don't know what displeases Him. Without God's Word, I don't, I don't know how to pursue what is good. I don't even know what is good. I don't know where to find lasting joy. I don't know how to find Christ, the object of my faith, apart from the Word of God. This is what the Word of God does. But the problem is, is that if I look at statistics and I look at surveys, they can be incredibly discouraging because what it tells us, if they're to be believed, it is this, that we in the West who have access to Bibles, like we've got them on our shelf, we've got them on our smartphones, we've got them everywhere, are nearly as ignorant of what the Bible says as our counterparts in other parts of the world who have no access to a Bible. And it's pretty shocking. Um... Every year, every year or two, uh, some of you know Ligonier Ministries or you know the name R.C. Sproul. Uh, year, several years ago, they started something to try and track the trends. They started doing a survey in conjunction with Lifeway Research on, they call it the state of theology. Okay, It's like, what do people believe? What And specifically, what do Christians believe? What do we actually believe? Now, one of the subgroups that they survey in this are what they will define as evangelical Christians. If that term means nothing to you, let me tell you how they define it and people who identify as, an, as, as being an evangelical Christian would agree with all of these statements. They would agree and they would say that the Bible is the highest authority in my life. They would say that the cross of Jesus Christ is the only thing that could pay the penalty for my sin. And they would say it's only through faith and trust in Christ that I can secure eternal salvation, okay? That's, a, that's according to them, that's their definition right now, but let's just deal with that for a moment. That's, that's who is going to answer a lot of these, these questions. It's going to be one of the subgroups that answers this. Now, I, if I had to bet, that's if you call yourself a Christian, that's, that's a whole bunch of you in this room. I believe the Bible is my highest authority. I believe that Jesus Christ and the cross of Christ is the only thing to pay for my sins. And I believe it's through faith alone and Christ alone that purchases my eternal salvation, right? You would go, yes, yes, yes. So what do evangelical Christians believe? Who say the Bible's my highest authority. Okay, let's do it this way. There's about 10 of you. Let's just say on average, in your row, there's about 10 people. Okay, several questions were asked, lots of questions. I'm going to give you a little sampling of this survey, okay? Here's the first thing. God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. 62% of evangelical Christians agree with that statement. Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. Let me say this. I hope Foothill Church is an exception to this survey. <laughs> um, but I wonder. So let's say that actually plays out in this room. Nearly half of you think that's a true statement. 
The Holy Spirit is a force, but it's not a personal being. Six people in your row, almost seven, think that's true. Everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. 61% of you apparently agree with that. The Bible, like all sacred writings, contains helpful accounts of ancient myths, but is not literally true. Nearly one in three in this room think that's a true statement. Worshiping alone or with one's family is a valid replacement for regularly attending church. I think this must be a COVID statistic. Six out of 10 people think that's right. Now, this is amazing, right? Do you, do you hear the irony? Because we started off by saying these are people who before they answer one question, answer this, do you believe that the Bible is your highest authority? And they said yes. Until it conflicts with their personal beliefs. Until they can jettison it because no, I look at it differently. You see what I mean? This is what I'm saying. Now look, I could go on and on. This survey goes on and I don't want to depress you anymore. But, but, but I want you to hear this, right? Here's people like us who claim that and say this is true, but I don't believe that anymore when it starts to conflict with my personal belief. This is why we need the word of God. Maybe it's because they really don't know what the Bible says. I want to give them the benefit of the doubt. They claim it's their highest authority. They just don't know what it says. This is why we need the Word of God. We must have the Word of God in our hearts and in our lives. So how do we do that? How do we get the Bible into us? How do we, how do we make it just, you know, from just some any old book into something that actually penetrates my heart, that I'm bringing it in, that I'm, I'm consuming it, that it's my spirit. So it's, it's this key part of my spiritual diet. Right? I mean, you, you could have the most awesome exercise regimen in the world, but if you're just going to decide that I'm eating processed foods and chips and junk food and all that, then what good is it? Th th this is what I'm saying. Like, look, if this is not a cornerstone of, of your spiritual disciplines in your spiritual life, you're going to lose everything. Okay, so, so, so how, how do we do this? How do we get it? Let me just get, I'm gonna give you. I'm going to give you three things, Okay. We're talking about hearing, reading, and studying. And then next week, I'm going to give you a few more, okay? But that's for today. We're going to get real basic. I'm going to put the cookies on the lowest shelf because I need them there. I'm not trying to treat you as, as you know, oh, you don't know. I need this. I need to hear this again. I need to remind myself of these basic truths. What we need is to read. We need to hear, read, and study the Word of God. So let's talk about each of those in turn. The first thing we can do is we can hear the Word of God. Now, I, I, believe it or not, this is a discipline. And it's a discipline because if you don't discipline yourself to hear the Word of God, then you may never or rarely, or what you'll do is you'll only listen to it when it suits you or it fits into your schedule or when you have some leftover time or something like that. Listen to me. This is a, this is a series on the spiritual what? Disciplines. You know what a discipline is? 
A discipline is something you do when you don't feel like it. Don't tell me you're a discipline. I'm a runner or I whatever when you just sort of, ah, today I felt like doing it, but tomorrow I don't. A discipline is something by definition that I do when I want to and when I really don't want to at all and I want to sleep in. So, so, so we're saying, no, I have, to, I have to discipline myself to hear the word of God. Now, how? What does that actually look like? Let me suggest to you the most basic way you do this is simply coming to church and hearing the word of God preached to you read to you like Jessica just did, preached to you, explained to you. This is a discipline of the Christian life. Then what do we do? I was just talking to somebody last night who was saying they're, they're an older saint, and they said, I'm amazed at how often we hear the Word of God powerfully preached, and we barely cross the threshold to outside, and it's like we never heard anything. See, this is not just my eardrums vibrated and I heard it in the background. I listen, and listening leads to obedience, leads to action. See, now hear me. Um, if you're one of these that like to play the Bible in the background, good for you. Seriously. Like, if, if, if that's all you ever do and you've got that and that's the background track of your life, I, I can't think of a better background track. But hear me, you can have that going on and never actually listen to it, right? And never really understand and respond to what it says. What the Bible's going to call us to is not mere, uh, you know, the, 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 the vibration of my eardrums. It's going to call me to do some kind of active listening where I listen and then I obey what I hear. Jesus, in, in Luke chapter 11, the woman cries out in the middle of this, blessed is the womb that bore you. And Jesus responds, no, blessed is the one who hears my word and does what I say. James, remember, remember what James says, James chapter one, but be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You are deceived if you think that all you can do, all you need to do is come to church or turn on a radio or listen to, you know, your Bible on Audible or something like that, right? That that's all you've got to do. You're deceiving yourself. But be doers. For if anyone is like a, is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. You know what he's saying? You look in the mirror, it's smudged, right? You've got snot coming out of your nose. There's, there's you know all the, you know, goop in your eyes, whatever, and you walk away and go, I'm good. And it's like that. You've heard, you've seen, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer her acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Don't just be hearers, be doers of the word. See, Jesus, the Bible, expects obedience. This is not mere passivity, but it all starts with hearing. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. Okay, Timothy, all scripture is breathed out by God. This is literally God's word. And it is profitable, Timothy for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness. Every single word of Scripture, it's all profitable when we understand it. 
I don't, I don't have it in your notes, but do this. If you've got your Bible, turn over to Luke uh, chapter 8 real quickly with me. I was reading this this week. Um, and, and let me, I'm just going to give you a quick overview of verses 4. Go to Luke chapter 8, verse 4, down to 21. Okay, Jesus is going to tell a parable. And it's the parable that a lot of you know. I think we did it during our parable series on the parable of the sower, right? The sower goes out to sow and he sows seed there and here and here and here and here. And, and uh, you know, some gets plucked up and it grows, gets choked out, all these kind of things. And then he turns to his disciples and says, let me tell you what I meant by that parable. Okay, now watch this. If you're in your Bibles, go down to verse 12. The ones along the path are those who have heard Verse 13, the ones on the rock are those when they hear. Verse 14, those that fell among the thorns are those that hear. Verse 15, as for the good soil, they are those who hearing the word of God. This is a passage, verses 4 to 21, that is all about hearing. It is all about listening. And then you jump down to verse 16, Still talking about hearing. No one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar, puts it under a bed, right? I, I don't take what I've heard and smother it out. Nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest or is anything secret. Then look at verse 18. Take care then how you hear. Isn't that interesting? Footle Church, take care how you hear. Do you do that? Are you careful about hearing? And he ends, verse 21, right? Somebody says, your mother and her brothers are outside. And look what Jesus says. My mother and brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. You hear what Jesus just said? The ones I call family members are those who hear and do. Hear and obey. Do you take care how you hear? Donald Whitney in his book on the Christian disciplines talks about when he was a pastor at a church, he remembers there was a Korean congregation that met inside of his church on Sundays. And he said, I was really struck because as opposed to us, now this would sound like Foothill Church, right? What do we do? We come to church and it's loud and we grab our cup of coffee and we're chatting with people and hey, how's it going? And kind of we all get together, right? And he said, they would come in and before they greeted anybody, they'd sit down and they would pray and they would ask God to just center their heart on what they were about to, they recognized this. I'm not, this isn't a movie and it's not a concert. I'm literally going to sit in the presence of the word of God. Sober me, God. Help me to hear. I think that's a great question to ask yourself. Is there any difference between the way you enter here on a Sunday morning and the way you go to a movie? Do you do anything different to go, I'm about to hear the word of God. God, help me. Hearing. It seems pretty easy, but this is a discipline. And listen to me. <laughs> Foothill Church in 2023, we literally have no excuse. 
None. You, you have Bible after Bible after Bible. You can get it for free. You don't have to pay money on Audible. You can listen to, you can, you can come to a church that's going to preach the Word of God to you. You, can, you, can, you have access to it all the time. Are you hearing? Are you disciplining yourself to hear the Word of God? That's the first thing. Second thing is reading, okay? You can hear, but we should also be reading, right? Another survey, seems like they're always discouraging. 18% of self-professed Christians actually read their Bible every day. 23% of Christians never read their Bible. Never. Never. So, something like less than 2 in 10, if, if that bears out at Foothill Church, less than 2 in 10 of us are actually training for godliness, striving for holiness. Is it any wonder that we find ourselves spiritually anemic? Is it any wonder that we lack power and maturity and are discouraged? Is it any wonder that the last two years and the culture wars that have happened have torn us apart or we've elevated, you know, politics and others world, other worldviews besides what we find in Scripture? See, hear me. Like everybody in here, you are being discipled by something or someone. You just are. There, there's no such thing. Like you're not the, 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 the spiritual Switzerland that, you know, there's no wars going on and you know something is discipling you. And some of you are more discipled by CNN or Fox News than you are by your Bibles. Than you are by the Word of God. And so what do we do? We, we read. There is no growth. There is no growth. I'm going to say this. I want to say it a million times. There is no spiritual growth apart from the Word of God. It's not going to happen. This book that you hold in your hand, that one that's sitting there that, that never gets clicked on in your, in, your, in your smartphone, that is the Spirit's most powerful tool in all of His arsenal to transform you. It's called a two-edged sword that cuts down to the marrow, that gets right to the heart of issues, that transforms people from the inside out. So we must train to read it. So how do we read? How do we, how do, we do this? I'm going to, again, I want to make this as basic as possible, okay? How, how can I actually start reading my Bible? Okay, I'm going to give you some really basic principles. Number one, find a time and a place, okay? Seriously, some of you, this is your homework today. You leave here, and maybe when you get in the car, before you go anywhere, you sit down with your calendar before the sun goes down tonight, and you go when and where, and then you literally put that in your calendar. You decide, here's where it happens. I am going to read my Bible. And some of you are intimidated by it, right? You look at your Bible, and I don't know, this thing has close to or more than a thousand pages. Like, oh my gosh, that's so much. I've never read a thousand page book. Well, I bet you have. Um, Lord of the Rings, 1,200 pages. Harry Potter, anybody read all, all three Harry Potters? You've read 3,000 pages of a story. If you were to download a copy of the Bible from Audible, you would discover, like remember, you look at, your, you look at that and it says, oh, this, this book is 12 hours and 15 minutes or whatever. 
they'll tell you this book is 75 hours. It takes you 75 hours to read from cover to cover. Uh, ironically, or not, guess how much the average American spends on social media per month? 75 hours. Guess how many of you who are TikTok users spend per day on TikTok? 1.5 hours. You spend 45 hours on drivel. On nothing. On vanity. On emptiness. On filth. Now look, it's fun. It's entertaining. My mind goes into neutral. Whatever you want to say. Do you, uh, here's why I say all that. Um, literally, if you had just replaced those times, you could read your Bible cover to cover before February. You could literally read your Bible 12 times this year. <laughs> um, now, I know, I know you, you won't spend 75 hours in the next few days reading your Bible. I get that. What if you spent 15 minutes? Do you know if you spent 15 minutes, the average reader can read through their Bible in a year? I, I, I tell you this, I just want to use myself as an example, not because I, I think I've, I've mastered the Christian life at all. I've literally read my Bible dozens of times, and I'm going to tell you another part to this in just a moment, and it takes me on a yearly basis, and it, it takes me no more than 15 to 20 minutes, and you think you're a fast reader. I'm not. On the SAT, the, my reading comprehension was lower than most. Like, I'm, I'm, that is not a big gift for me. I just, it's just something that I do. I, I hope what you're hearing, like Steve and I were just talking about this. This is not graduate level stuff. It's 15 minutes a day. It's you just going, I'm going to find a time and I'm going to find a place. It's going to go on my calendar and I'm going to do this. Okay? The second thing you do is you find a plan. Okay? This is, this is, this is, paramount in importance. You find a plan. Now look, you could Google right now, Bible reading plan. You would literally come up with dozens in whatever milliseconds it takes Google to do that, right? You would have, you would have all these Bible plans at your fingertip. We just introduced a Bible plan this morning. On your seat is this. You can QR code this on the screen. You can get this right now. We will give you a Bible reading plan. We will even, we will even give you supplemental material so that when you feel like you're lost, you understand what's going on in there. This is a plan that if you were to follow us, it would take you two years to walk through the Bible with us, okay? So again, we're not trying to say, hey, everybody, let's get the Bible read by February. That'd be awesome. But how about we just go day at a time, 15 minutes at a time, and just slowly drip, 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 get the Word of God into us. Okay, I told you, I've read the Bible dozens of times. You know when I never read the Bible? When I don't have a plan. Guaranteed. If I just leave it to myself to go, where's my favorite passage? I don't know. I think I'll just go to the Psalms, Romans, or something. Never happens. 
But if I go, here's the plan I'm working, then man, and you think, you have a Chris, then you got a box, you check it off, and it gets mechanical. So does neglect. And let me just say something about being mechanical. Do I want to avoid being mechanical and just checking a box? Absolutely. But if I'm going to check a box and be mechanical, then, then may that box incline me towards Scripture and not away from Scripture. So fine, maybe it starts off feeling mechanical, but maybe by God's grace, as you read Scripture, it slowly warms your heart. I think it was Martin Lloyd-Jones who the longer he walked with Christ that I, I barely approached the word of God anymore without being on my knees. Like I'm, I, I am, I am going to stop before anything and just go, God, help me. I'm going to pray with the psalmist, incline my heart to your testimonies. I'm going to pray with the psalmist, open my eyes that I might behold wondrous things from your law. The time a place, a plan, and then lastly, pick a phrase or a word or a concept or an idea. In other words, here's what I'm just trying to help you to think about. Don't, don't, just, don't, don't just read. Tell yourself to lock in on something in your reading. Anything. Lock in on a word. Lock in on an idea. Like, like, let, me, let me just give you an example. So I was, I think it was in Psalm uh, 15 or maybe 15, um, just this morning, and, and David says this in verse one, I say, uh, I, I, I say the Lord, I will say the Lord is my portion. Uh, I have no good apart from you. That's a quote. And for whatever reason, I stopped, I was arrested with that verse, I will say. And I thought, why does he say it that way? Maybe because he's not feeling it right then. I will say. It's like singing this morning. He won't, he won't, he won't, he won't. See, sometimes we, we say these things, we, we confess things that we don't feel. That's a really good Christian practice. I have no good apart from you. God, I have nothing. You show me what's good. Because my heart is tempted to think there's other portions out there. There's other things that are good. I don't need God for the goodness in the world. I will say the Lord is my portion. I try to, I try to be in different passages of Scripture as I'm reading through the Bible. So I was also in, in Genesis. And, and in Genesis, I got to the section when God tells Abraham, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a covenant with you and the sign of the covenant will be circumcision. Now that feels like a passage you just want to keep reading right past and you know, what, okay, that's wild, right? But I stopped and I thought about this and I thought, why circumcision? And then I thought, maybe that's the point. Maybe the point is, Abraham, I know this makes no sense to you, Will you still believe and obey? So I mean, I'm not trying to write a sermon here. I'm trying to lock in and then say to myself, Chris, will you be, God, will you give me the grace 
to be obedient to things you call me to do, even when they don't make sense. God, will you help me to see that you are good when my heart says I want to chase after good and I want to find my portion in something else. That's all I'm trying to do. Just, just stop my heart for a moment, just a few moments, and say, here's a phrase, here's an idea, here's a word that I can lock in on. Listen, hear your Bible, read your Bible, and finally study your Bible, okay? What are we doing? We're moving from more passive to more active, from sort of, you know, scooting along the surface to getting under and going deeper into the things of God. But this is what we're called to do, to study. Paul's going to say to young Timothy, Timothy, one of your translations says, study to show yourself approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Study. Ezra, the Old Testament prophet, we read about uh, Ezra, and, and, and it says that Ezra set his heart, and now listen to the order of this. He set his heart to study and to do and to teach. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, first of all, starts with me setting my heart. I'm gonna have the discipline of studying the word of God. I'm gonna study it so that I can be obedient and do it, and out of that is when I'm gonna teach. I don't reverse the order. I study so I can teach and maybe I'll get around to obeying. Right? He says, no, it passes through the obedience first, right? So, so this is what Ezra did. Or you read about in Acts chapter 17 that, the, that, that, that Luke writes that the Bereans from this area, he says, he says they were, they, these Jews were more noble because when Paul taught, they would go back and they would research and they would study to examine the scriptures to see if what Paul said was true. Paul doesn't say, how dare you? I'm an apostle. No, he says they're more noble because they studied the word of God. Or, or Paul, at the very end of his life, the last book he writes in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says to Timothy, hey, bring this fellow with you. And then he says this, bring my, my I'll, I'll put it in our words, bring my coat and bring my Bible. It's freezing here, right? If you know anything about old Roman prisons that Paul would have been at the time, these are not, don't think prison like we know them. Think a hole in the ground, think dank, think dark, think damp. Uh, there's no food down there. If you're gonna be fed, other people bring you food. They don't, they don't say, oh, we want you to be comfortable. Here's a cot and a toilet. You're gonna go to the bathroom down there. You're gonna sleep down there. So Paul says, bring my coat, I'm cold. But then, bring my Bible. Now, that's Paul talking. That's the one who saw with his own eyes the resurrected Christ. That's the one who says, I know a man. It's Paul who was caught up to the third heaven. This is a man who experienced things you and I will never experience. And he says, what I need, Timothy, more than anything... Bring my Bible. I've got to have my Bible. I've got to study it, right? Because one day I know it. Two days, you'll know it, Timothy. Three days, the public will know it. I've got to stay sharp. I've got to practice this thing. So, so, so we're supposed to study. So why don't we? R.C. Sproul says this. 
Here then is the real problem of our negligence. We fail in our duty to study God's word, not so much because it's difficult to understand, not so much because it's dull and boring, but because it's work. Our problem is not lack of intelligence or lack of passion. Our problem is that we're lazy. Somebody said it, and we needed to hear it. Ultimately, that's our issue, isn't it? Now, some of you go, but okay, okay, hold on, Chris. It's not laziness, it's ignorance. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to open my Bible and do this. Where do, where do I start? What do I do? How, you know, what, what, what's the mechanics of that? Okay, well, good. I'm glad you feel that way because we actually have a whole slate of things to offer you as a church, right? There are, there are uh, Bible studies that Chris Gannon will lead people in. We're gonna go through the minor prophets, areas of scripture that you probably pass over really quickly and go, I, I don't know what to say and I'm just gonna move on and get to the New Testament and the gospel. And so we'll help you study. You're going to study with other people. You can take a systematic theology class, which can give you a framework for your entire Bible to help you understand categories and help you study your Bible better. We can, we are here to help you do the very thing that I'm calling you to do. Now you just got to decide I'm going to do this. I'm going to be disciplined in this. This is going to be part of what I do. And it's not some guilt trip. Pastor Chris told me that Sunday I had to. And so you go on the first day and you're in Chris Gannon's class and he never sees you again. Like, no, it's a discipline. And it's a discipline because I show up when I had a great day at work and I show up when I had a terrible one. I show up when traffic is good and when traffic is always terrible, right? I'm there when I'm tired. I'm there when I'm wide awake. Not because I'm checking a box, not because Chris is taking attendance or, you know, it's impressing anybody, because I desperately need to train in godliness. So what's your, what's your next step? Okay, I just want to encourage you. Decide on one thing. For some of you, it's hearing. For some of you, it's just, you know what I'm going to do? I am going to commit myself that I will be at church to hear the word of God with pen and paper, and I'm going to take care how I hear, and I'm going to listen to what's said, and I'm going to, by the grace of God, go out and practice. I am, I, church is going to be my excuse for everything else, not everything being an excuse for why I don't go to church. I will come faithfully and hear the word of God. For some of you, it's reading. You leave here today and you pick a plan. You pick a, you pick a time and you take a, pick a place and you pick a plan and you start picking a phrase. And for some of you, it's studying. You sign up for a class. You go talk to Chris Gannon. You come talk to us. Man, I, I gotta get in one of those. I need to discipline myself for the purpose of godliness. Some of you may go, you know what? I'm going to grab a group of friends and we're going to do this. Can I tell you something? I'm in ministry today. I was a lawyer. Many of you know this. The catalyst for me moving from law to grace is, <laughs> uh, is was, a, was a Bible study with about five guys at a little church when I was 31 years old. I had never studied the Bible for myself before then. They're like, I don't want to go into ministry. It's fine. <laughs> I'd say this, one of the most catalytic moments in your faith will be when you open your Bible 
and start to study it. Just study. Just get into it, right? Again, hear me. This is not graduate level. This isn't, you know, for super smart people with lots of background. Man, this is for people who've never studied the Bible for themselves. To finally pick it up and go, I'm doing this. What, what's your first step? What, what discipline will you take on that you'll do when you feel like it, you'll do when you don't? That you'll push past by God's grace those, those tired feelings, those things, say, man, I don't want to do this today, and it'll actually become a discipline. Remember, it's a practice. This is practice. And you get better and better and better and better. Kobe Bryant, you know, one of the greatest basketball players ever, and he was, he was famous for his work ethic. All the boys are partying until four in the morning. They come home, and Kobe's going to the gym. Because there's always a place to improve. See, we, we just get better. I, I don't mean irreverence by that. Like, practicing the Christian life will make you better at the Christian life. You'll grow in the Christian life. Your heart will be transformed by walking in obedience and discipline in that. What's your step? What's the one thing you can do? Let, let, me, let me just leave you with this quote, Jeffrey Thomas from his book, Reading the Bible. It says this, I find this incredibly encouraging. Do not expect to master the Bible in a day or a month or a year. Rather, expect often to be puzzled by its context. It is not all equally clear. Great men of God often feel like absolute novices when they read the word. The apostle Peter said that there were some things hard to understand the letters of Paul. I'm glad he wrote those words because I have felt that often, to which I say amen. So do not expect always to get an emotional charge or a feeling of quiet peace when you read the Bible. By the grace of God, you may not expect that to be a frequent experience, but often you will get no emotional response at all. Look at me, church. I'm telling you right now, as your pastor, I think some of you think that I open up the scripture and it's like, whoa, and it sings at me and lights pour out of it. Most often, no emotional response at all. That's my daily bread. But look at this. Let the word of God break over your heart and mind again and again again. And as the years go by and imperceptibly, there will come great changes in your attitude and outlook and conduct. You will probably be the last to recognize these. Often you will feel very, very small because increasingly the God of the Bible will become to you wonderfully great. So go on reading it until you can read no longer and then you will not need the Bible anymore. Because when your eyes close for the last time in death and never again read the word of God in scripture, you will open them to the word of God in the flesh. That same Jesus of the Bible whom you've known for so long standing before you to take you forever. To his eternal home. Let's pray. Father, uh, I thank you. I thank you for your word.
May our hearts tremble before your word. Lord, may may in this room there be people who finally decide that this will not, that not another day, not another year will go by when I don't discipline myself to hear, to read, to study the Word of God. God, I imagine sermons like this can heap guilt upon our backs and people look and say, man, I failed at this. But God, what they would hear is your word. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead. We press on. We strain toward godliness. God, we would become people shaped not by the world, not by a news cycle, God forbid, by politics, but people who read things like Paul says to Philippians, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So God, make us people of your word. Thank you for your word, God. It is a light unto our path, God. It's a lamp for our feet. Where would we be if all we were left with is the wisdom of this world? And so God, train us. Help us to be people who take our training seriously. Form us, shape us through the word of God, we pray. And we ask this in Jesus' name.